It's all in the game with David Downey and Neil Atkinson. Everything and anything football. It's all in the game on City Talk 105.9. Signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours there. Signed, sealed, delivered. Who's Everton's Gareth Barry? We're going to talk about him in a minute, but before we get on to that, we're going to talk about Victor Wanyama. Uh, Dave's just walked into the studio. He's late in today, so he doesn't know that the first topic of conversation today is going to be Victor Wanyama. Dave, did you see Southampton play against West Ham? No, but I've seen, I've seen the, the highlights, if that what you, you could call them. I've seen Morgan Schneiderlin's uh, two-footed lunge that Allardyce refused to not talk about. <laughs> um, let's, talk about let's talk about Victor Wanyama for a second. Victor Wanyama cost £12 million from Celtic, and Victor Wanyama was a player that I saw that a lot of Liverpoolians and some Evertonians felt that their their manager should be going for in the yeah. summer. That he'll add steel. That he'll add he'll add graft. That he'll put a stint in. That he'll hurt people. That he'll charge around central midfield. That he'll win the ball. Please God, can we have somebody who wins the ball? That was the that was the claim all the way through. And I saw Victor Wanyama at the weekend. And my word, can Victor Wanyama win the ball? He also can't pass it. Really? He can't pass the ball. He cannot pass the ball. He's a central midfielder. He's gone for £12 million to go from Celtic to Southampton. He's only 21. It could be nerves. It could be an off day. It could be one bad game. But he can't pass the ball. He cannot pass it. He, he wins it. He doesn't know what to do with it. He tries to. Sometimes he miscontrols it over five yards. Um, he always looks to pass it back to his centre. I was in an ideal world. I saw him arrow one good ball forward whilst I was watching that game. Uh, he cannot pass the mm. ball. He gave it away four or five times in quick succession from one. I saw. He can't pass it. So what's the point of him winning it if he can't pass it? Well, it's interesting you mention him because it is one of my guilty pleasures. The SPL, I do I do watch quite a bit of SPL randomly. Uh, in fact, I watched um, Ross County against Dundee United yesterday. There are, there, are, there, are, there are people you can ring about that sort of thing, Dave. They yeah. can help you out. Cracking game, 4-2 to Dundee United. It was really it belted, it was a really good game. They were 4-0 up, like, so two goals didn't really count, but um, I watched a lot of Wanyama for Celtic last season. Uh, it's sort of I think that price tag solely on his performances in the Champions League. Yeah, uh, he wasn't overly impressive in the league, even though, I mean, you, you've got to assess. He's any he can only play against the, the teams in front of him, can he? But he wasn't. I wouldn't say he was head and shoulders even then above everybody else what, in the SPL. What's interesting is that Celtic won't have. Well, sorry, those who are playing Celtic will have been quite happy to have set up without the ball. Mm. So, but in the Champions League, then you're playing against people who want who who want to have the ball. So you need someone to go and get it back, yeah. and then give it to better players, and then go from there. What's interesting is Southampton were playing West Ham, and West Ham were just basically going. He's going to give it away in a minute. <laughs> yeah. They weren't pressuring him, or occasionally, but they did either not pressure him at all, or three would close him down. Mm. And, and, and he'd lose the ball. Uh, so it's this idea that basically you can you can become this weak link, you can have these enormous strengths, but if you're playing against West Ham who just want to go long, who just want to send it mostly, who are interested in getting it up the pitch, then having the hunter gather a central midfielder who runs around and closes and goes and wins it and who then doesn't know how to recycle it quickly becomes a problem, which brings us ever so neatly on to Gareth Barry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that Gareth Barry's first contribution to the game against uh, Chelsea at the weekend was phenomenal. When he won the ball, when he sprinted 10 yards, won the ball with his chest, and then pinged a 30-yard ball out to Seamus Coleman with his left foot. Mm. Straight away there, Dave, as an Evertonian, you must have gone to yourself, this fella is a footballer. Yeah, well, 
I don't mean to blow me on trumpet because I couldn't understand a lot of Evertonians sort of disagreeing with me when I said I think Gareth Barry would be a really, really good player for Everton. Um, and I think he's exactly what we needed. Uh, what was funny about it was we, we had a discussion on the Blue Room on Thursday and the general consensus was we didn't want him playing next to Osman in the midfield. We thought it would be too leggy. Barry didn't look a shade over the age of 30, by the way. He, <laughs> he looked like he was everywhere. I felt sorry for Osman. I thought yeah. Osman looked dreadful because he was playing next to Barry. <laughs> But it was all right because ultimately Barry yeah. was bailing him out. Uh, I th- I thought that it was it was a debutant performance to, that overshadows practically all of the football that's played this weekend. Mm. It was everything that you could ask for in a debut. Was uh, there a slight bit of jealousy? Yeah, more than a slight bit of jealousy. He was a footballer I'd, I'd love Liverpool to have gone for mm. in a, you know in a, in a serious manner. I'd love Liverpool to have gone for him. But that said, I was watching it with Steve Graves. And I'm going to talk a bit about Steve Graves while I was talking about Gareth Barry. Um, and Steve said, "But wouldn't you rather he was playing?" Every game, knowing he's going to play every game, you know it's it, and I think that there was Evertonians who were bemused, bemused by a lot of the red response to Colo Torre. Well, that was that. Yeah, that's what that was. Yeah, uh, someone who comes in as a as a thirty-something pro who plays like a thirty-something pro, but has the exuberance and enthusiasm of a twenty-year-old debutant, uh, but with all the nous of a proper professional. And I thought it was a towering midfield performance, the like of which I don't think has been seen that often in games in the between the top eight in this mm. country in recent years because normally they, they account for each other, they count each other out. I thought Chelsea completely underrated Everton's strength in midfield. Yeah. I thought it was a, it was an odd selection to leave Lampard out, but not even that, to not have anyone uh, detailed to play that role and get on top of someone like Barry. For some reason, matters all the way out over there. And what, Mikel, what, what sort of role he had Mikel playing? And what, and what is Mikel about? Yeah. What's the point of John Obi Mikel? Yeah. And you're looking at that there, and I'd rather ha- I'd have Gareth Barry ahead of Ramirez or John Obi Mikel. And Chelsea are, I think they are favourites for the title still, or the second favourites for the title. Uh, they're the deemed to be a Champions League force. And I'd rather have have a player start who started for Everton in the centre of the midfield than I would have uh, any player that Chelsea could put out there who started mm-hmm. in their midfield. And I think that that's indicative of exactly how good a signing Martinez has made. Yeah, I, I thought he, would, he was fantastic and he even had that, that moment of uh, almost like a superhero, wasn't it, when he when he stopped that Etu uh, goal-bound shot that after Tim Howard's mistake. It, it was one of those debuts. He, he even had that as the icing on the cake. It, it was something... Um, it, I haven't seen a debut... I, I joked on Twitter I said we haven't seen a debut like that since Joe because Joe of course scored two goals yep. on his debut but um, uh, yeah I thought he was fantastic and I, I thought that, uh, the selection really intrigued me as well and I, I found it hard not to criticise Martinez's selection because I was wondering how Naismith was getting ahead of this wonder kid we've seen from Barcelona mm. that was a big statement for me um, albeit he went on to deliver, and I thought Naismith's performance was second to Barry on the day as well. I thought he was he was industrious. Uh, after the game, his comments, he said, "I still give the ball away far too much." It was nice to hear that sort of yeah, those sort of uh, noises coming out of him as well. But um, I, I thought, it all in all, Barkley again shining against a bigger team, even though he did give the ball away quite a bit. And having said all that, those three draws we've had. Before that, before that game against Chelsea, a lot could be said for us playing a lot better in those three games than we did against Chelsea. I thought we were quite poor in the first half, and I thought we were lucky to go in one 0 up. 
Oh, very much so. I thought Everton were, were clearly looking to go one nil up. Mm. In, in the order in which you mentioned all that, I thought that Barry's block on Eto is one of the best pieces of football you'll see yeah. from anyone all season because they showed uh, that great camera angle where I was watching it from behind the goal. They showed yeah. that camera angle, and you see you see the error. You see Barry look. I think it's Shuttle who the ball goes to. He looks at Shuttle. He looks at Eto. He looks at Shuttle, and he goes, "I'm going to Eto." Yeah. While Shuttle still got the ball, he anticipates that it's going to go there, mm. and he's so quick and the. the He's, you know, he's assessing a billion things at once. There he shouldn't have been there. When I was the right looking decision. at it, it yep. shouldn't have been him there. Exactly, and he's assessing a billion things, and he makes the right decision. And that intelligence on the pitch will be as good this season as goal of the season because mm. that is a goal and not just is it, is it a goal a goal save and tackle that is worth plus one or worth zero versus minus one if you see what I mean yeah. that is worth a goal and not only is it just worth a goal but it's also a great goal yeah. it felt like an enormous moment for Barry forever and you know it felt like it was momentous it was as though it was equivalent to him going up the other end and lad up and one in the top corner from 25 yards yeah, games change on those sorts of moments exactly and that was where it began to feel if you were Chelsea if you were Chelsea supporter you could begin to create this narrative of, oh, it's going to be one of those mm. days. And I thought that infected the Chelsea players a little bit. They'd be then, you know, Eto's missed that chance. They then began to play like players who felt it was one of those days. Uh, and I think that, that you know, that, that changes mentalities on football pitches. That's mm. the first thing. And as I say, I can't say enough about him. The second thing is Naismith's a fascinating footballer <laughs> because he's not really a footballer. No. He's a lad who runs round. He's, he's our version of Dirk Coast. Well, that's exactly what he is. And it's a massive goal. It's a great header back from Jelovic. Mm. Yeah, it was. It was. It, it, I didn't expect him to get it. Nor did I expect him to have the awareness to knock it back across. Uh, when you strike it out of form, ball comes to you. Even if you're on the stretch, three yards out, you still want to nod it towards goal. I thought it was. It was fun. And, and to be fair to Yelovich, I don't think he had his worst game in an Everton shirt. He desperately, desperately needs a goal. He had a, he had one put on a play for him as well. If you mm-hmm. remember, just the header just before it, where he got in front of Ivanovic yep. and then somehow just fell to pieces when the ball actually hit his head. Yep. And it just sunk into Petrček's arms. Um, it was, it was a really strange game in contrast to the Chelsea game we played last season. Again, went, went in a half time, 1 0 up. Last season, we very much deserved that because of that high intensity. Yeah. You know, that was almost the. We picked that as almost like. Um, the quintessential Everton game. Yeah, absolutely. And this one was very, very strange. I thought, and, and not put, at no point did I think we were being overruled by Chelsea, but at the same time, I still think they probably, on the balance of play, deserve something out of the game. Well, they, very they, weird. they definitely deserve to go in ahead, but well, the other side of that was one they didn't, mm. and then I actually thought the response second half from Chelsea was poor. Yeah. I thought that it was lacking in invention, it was lacking in creativity. There wasn't really the nous there as to how they were going to unpick Everton, and this is an Everton which the concern before a ball was kicked this season was that Martinez's Everton would be leaky, mm. and the one thing they didn't look was, was porous in any way shape or form they, they looked like they all knew exactly what the jobs were it was interestingly pragmatic from Martinez he was prepared to for instance he hooks um, he hooks Jelovic and goes to effectively mm. no one up front to get another body in there yeah. you know it's it's, it's funny think, it's funny how fans interpret that change though Neil because if that's Moyes last season there's booze ringing around Goodison if that happens if he takes a striker off and puts a midfielder on because he, he was you know much even a 1-0 one, one up against Chelsea absolutely because it, I, I think that sort of epitomised his last couple of years at Everton his negativity mm. um, because he brought him off for what 20 minutes to go was yeah. it that's a long time without a striker on the pitch I, I, I was looking around the newsroom here um, and I was thinking that's a long time without having an outlet there what he did was he put Manalas as our fake nine if yeah, you yeah. like um, who, who was an outlet because uh, what's her name 
Sideshow Bob should have been sent off. Yeah, yeah Louise. He's got to do something. He's got, Morales is someone you've got to deal with because if he gets the ball and he can run at you directly, yeah. then you're in a bit of trouble. Yeah, and I thought it was really interesting that Martinez did that. Put McCarthy on for his debut. He looked like he was more than willing to get stuck in as well. He didn't look like he wanted to be overawed by anybody else in that midfield. It was it was a real surprising performance for me because, like I say, those three draws. There's probably a lot of a lot of sense to the argument that we've played better than those three games. But it was it was it was much needed. It was it was totally different than a David Moyes win over a top four side at Goodison, because we, for once we didn't feel like the underdog. Mm. You know, it didn't feel like we went into the game as the underdog. And this is the thing that gets gets me excited about Martinez. He looks like he actually has a mindset where hang on. We can beat these lads because we've got a good enough team to do it. Not just we need the crowd behind us. We need bits of luck. We need to, you know, backs against the wall. We could have gone and scored two, or, two or three more. You know, look at Baines's free kick. Mm. All right, yeah, Chelsea had a lot of chances, but we defended well, like you said. It was just totally different to a David Moyes win. What I thought, what I thought was noticeable about it was it never. It was. It. it, it it seemed to me to be intellectually argued by mm. Martinez, for want of a better phrase. Like, Martinez had thought this through. Yeah. A lot of things were happening on the pitch that it looked like Martinez had thought about and anticipated, and then was impacting upon, for instance, the change to take the striker off, put Morales through the middle, give Chelsea a different type of problem to deal with, with Everton on the counter. Yeah. It seemed to me as though it was... It, it, it felt like rather than... And this is... You've got to be very careful here not to criticise him just because he's gone and gone to United. Absolutely, that. yeah. But, you know, like, I always felt that a lot of David Moyes wins against... Uh, one of the bigger sides felt like they were wins by force mm. they were wins by gritting your teeth throwing up your sleeves and working a lot harder and whilst Everton definitely had a work ethic it felt there was as much brain as there was brawn yeah, and that's, I, I, that's, that's and, and that's epitomised going back to Barry it's epitomised by Barry who couldn't have worked any harder but it was more his calm mm. that I thought hit the Everton players with Torre for Liverpool it felt, it felt as though Liverpool needed the enthusiasm mm. of Torre's experience Barry it felt as though he was relaxing people around him. They didn't need to worry because Barry was going to get the ball, he was going to get it under control and he was going to do something sensible with it mm. that alleviated the pressure off Everton's defence, even if it was just for 60 seconds and then he'd make himself available for the return pass and then he'd alleviate the pressure again. And the other thing that you saw him doing as well, it, it didn't surprise me to see Bar that Bar where Barkley was getting the ball in dangerous areas. Mm. I was simultaneously impressed and disappointed with Barkley. Yeah. He was getting a lot of the ball where he needs to be getting the ball uh, and not least from Barry who's, who's arrowing it 30 yards forward and saying, go on, Mm. You, you think you're good, you're in that role, go and do it. And a couple of times he really, really impressed. Apart from that, it looked as though he was struggling to impose himself. But that's no disgrace. You're up against Ramirez and Mikel. Yeah. You're up against Chelsea. It's no disgrace there at all. And the thing about Barkley was, he was very much ready and willing. And there'll be poor sides this season who he can help Everton put to the sword. Yeah, there is. And I think with Barkley, he needs to let it go quicker as well. As soon as he gets it in those attack yes. positions, he's got... Bain's bombing forward, he's got Coleman, he's got Morales, he's got players there to feed it into. Yeah. There were times when he got it, he and he's thinking, hang on, I've skinned one of them, I'll go and do it again. Every time he got the ball, there is a sense with Ross, and it's probably to his detriment that he has to do something to impress. He doesn't. Sometimes he can keep it simple and still be that top-class player. We know how good he is. I don't think he, he has to prove himself anymore to that extent. I think doing the simpler thing, getting that older head on, on young shot. I think that's where Barry will influence him. And going back to what you said about Barry, um, I think he's always been in a team where he's been able to appreciate the talent that's around him. I don't think Everton have ever had a player like that, where you've got that calmness, where you've got, well, hang on, I'll just do the simple thing, I'll do my job and trust everyone else to do, it, yep. to do the other job. That's probably... Leon Osman's testament over the years he's been used in a number of roles including that 
just behind the striker, all over the midfield. He's been given a number of roles where we haven't had that personnel. Now with Barry in there, who's played, you know, David Silver next to him. Yep, one side, yeah, 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 totally. Next to him on the other. If he's sitting there with an appreciation of what he's got around him, that he can ping these passes to these lads and give them, them that confidence to go forward, then he's more than perfect for Everton. And I'm, I'm absolutely delighted that we got him. I think I, I think you should be delighted. It reminds me of the uh, the, the wonderful Bielsa quote, uh, which is that every pass uh, has 37 forms of information on it. Uh, that you pass in a manner that tells you to put your, your teammates what it is I want from you yeah. next. You shift the ball and you make their mind up. You oblige them to do X, Y, or Z. Even that first ball that he pinged out to Coleman, it yeah. said to Coleman, "There's all that space in front of you. Get this under control and go and do something mm. with it." That was what that that single pass did. It said, "Go on, you got you you you're, you're moving. Keep moving forward mm. with this ball." And I think that's something that we miss. I think that's what that's what certain footballers can do for you. Yeah. They can pass the ball in a manner that tells the teammate what it is I want from you. The expert at a Xavi, obviously at Barcelona, who's able to almost like, almost like a manager influence the game by the way in which he passes to his teammates. But he's not alone in that. And 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 what I always thought was very effective with Barry at Manchester City was he would pass to Silva in a manner which made Silva's mind up. He passed to Torre in a manner which made Torre's mind up. Yeah. And I think that this is if Everton can hone this right, and it's really interesting. He's with Martinez. I think it's it's a result that I think Evertonians can get excited by. There will be times this season where if Everton concede the first goal, they could end up shipping three or four. Mm. I, you know, that that's the other thing I took from the weekend. If the, if this side's got to chase a game, it will try and chase yeah. it, and they could end up. You know, if if Eto had properly had his shooting boots on, then maybe you know Everton walk away there three-one. Uh, have been beaten three one and and uh, noses bloodies a little bit, but you know the point is now you've seen what it is all capable of, what can happen. I think the only other thing that Martinez needs in the next two three weeks is he could do with seeing his Everton side put a poorer side to the sword. It's been it's been a long time coming as well. I mean under Moyes, the football we played last season under Moyes was the best we played under Moyes, and we never ever really give anyone a, a proper trounce and there was Villa away I think at this stage last season I think we beat them 3-1 it should have been 6-7-8 and there, there were countless games and, and remember I come to I think it was the end of October November to uni and I said to you we've drawn too many with mm. these sides that we battered on possession Fulham away was the perfect example last season for me where I think we had something like 30 other attempts on goal we scored two goals drew two all top four hopes banished I think that ruthlessness and, and I really really hope it, it is to come under Martinez because that is what I sort of banked on him coming to Everton with is that sort of ruthlessness in front of goal even if we're conceding goals like you say because it did look like we could concede two or three Chelsea were off in front of goal then I, I think you know this time with Martinez right over Moyes Martinez should have that attacking now over what Moyes used to have the, the, the concern the one concern I'd have is um, for Martinez it was interesting how he did the opposite against Chelsea was uh, is, is, is sides letting you have the ball going back to this idea of we'll let you have the ball off the basis of that we'll counter attack against you second half against Chelsea I thought Everton were experts in allowing Chelsea to have the ball yeah. knowing the right moment to nip in go and win it and then turn it around from there Martinez you know Everton have had a huge amount of possession so far this season against the poorer side that they've played so far and not converted it but I think that that'd be the concern and that's where for instance you could come away from a few games thinking we've just been beaten 3-0 there and we don't know how yeah. you know, what's happened to us there how they've beaten us 3-0 and I think there may, be, there may be a bit of that whilst all this is, is settling in and that'd be my worry and that was the same I think you know if you think of Martinez's best results and best runs as Wigan manager they were able to at times go on crazy runs against top sides yeah. and turn them over and then the next week they'd be getting picked off by you know some team of dogs uh, yeah. who just picked them off over 90 minutes by being stronger than them and then seeing three 
through. Well, the but, game that effectively sent them down against Swansea, yeah. uh, that was one of those games where you're thinking, hang on, how have these lads lost this game? Yeah. Because they, they, they have, they've absolutely dominated from start to finish. Hit that point where Swansea are going to come into the game, then they don't know what to do. But the other side of that as well, though, is that this is different from that Wigan side. You go through the spine of that team. You know, we, we were laughing last season about when uh, playing for Wigan, Gary Caldwell had to be uh, dragged off yeah. for his own good <laughs> against Suarez because he was basically dizzy. Yeah. And you know that doesn't happen to doesn't that that really happens to Howard, to Distant, to mm-hmm. Jack Yelka, to Barry. McCarthy's in there as well now, and then there will be some combination of Lukaku or mm. or um, there's Barkley in there as well, and there's some combination of Lukaku or Yelovich still to come, uh, maybe alternating which one plays. But that's a solid spine. And then the wide areas, you've got Baines, who's arguably the best attacking left-back in the country at the moment, and on the other side, you've got Coleman, who's mm. coming into his own. Those lads aren't the players that he had at Wigan. And you've got to think that they're more able to stand up and be countered and be footballers under Martinez than... It, what he had in Wigan, but also, are they more able to stand up and be counted as footballers rather than just as men than they were under Moyes? Have they got that liberation now to become footballers, and does Barry do that for them as well? That's the thing, that's the, that's the, that's the I whole I love how upbeat all this is. Yeah, it is, it's, it's unbelievably upbeat, actually. I haven't moaned once yet, but um, it's interesting you mentioned that with Martinez, the deliberation of the players, if you like, it sort of feels like the reins, the shackles are off. That that sort of cliche comes to mind with them. Um, under Moyes, I wrote a, at the start of the season that maybe Everton might not have ever won anything with David Moyes as manager because he simply was it was too rigid. It was it was structured. There were limitations put on. I think Martinez seems the perfect kind of manager so far to say, listen, lads, we know we know how good you are. Go and show it. Excellent stuff. This is all in the game, otherwise known as the Gareth Barry Appreciation Hour. Neil Atkinson and Dave Downey staying with you. In part three to come, we're going to have, hopefully have Steve Hollisall on the line talking about Swansea versus Liverpool. You never know, you're looking at a raffle. It's all in the game with David Downey and Neil Atkinson on City Talk 105.9. Uh, David Moyes has had one of his quiet words, which I think is fabulous. He's had a quiet word with Ashley Young um, yeah, to say, you know, don't be doing any of that anymore. Uh, to, 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 Ashley, this, is, um, this isn't for you, this. And I don't know what's gone on because I've never seen you do anything like that before. Because if I'd have known, I'd have said something, obviously. But so this is now me saying something, Ashley. You don't be doing any of that thing. Because, you know, people don't like it very much in that. And the other one, well, the other one, the other one was, was what it was, wasn't it, Ashley? We're not going to start blaming you for that one, are we, Ashley? It's a load of nonsense isn't it Dave I've had a word with the player he's not that sort of player he's not going to do it anymore etc etc he is going to do it anymore and he's right to yeah. do it anymore because ultimately it's functioning for him he's got himself a penalty he's got himself a game changing decision he's got himself a red card and you're meant to say to him don't do it anymore mm. please he's got a be- he's got previous beef with Ashley Young though to be fair what was, yeah, he, he, when he was a Villa young he, had, um, he was notorious for jumping on the floor against Everton uh, more so than any other side I think and several times I think I remember speaking to Moyes and he's coming out with not directly about Ashley Young per se but um, about well maybe you know, he could have had a word in pre-season in his general direction it's funny as well because I've seen a couple of photos of Moyes and Young uh, at Anfield and Moyes is giving him like the deaths there and then Ashley just puts his head down and I don't think they've got a, the nicest of relationships but to be fair to him it's probably the first sensible thing he's said since he's been at Man United uh, oh yeah alright yeah it's continue with the uh, the Fergie party line as in I'll have a word but I think he's actually gone further than that hasn't he and said that he would back uh, retrospective action 
against this sort of thing. Yeah, but I mean that's. I think retrospective action against this sort of thing. It just my, my worry on that is that suddenly context will get involved and it will be applied some weeks and other weeks it won't. Yeah. And then what about this and what about that and what about the other? I think it's I think it's best dealt with at the time as well. The other side of retrospective action on it is well, what is it? Is your retrospective action just a yellow? Because that's what it, if it is mm. if it gets noticed on the pitch. But then does that feel like it's enough if it's if it's changed the game? But then the other side of that is that if it has changed the game and you're retrospectively banning, let's use as an example, let's say let's say Liverpool are playing uh, Liverpool are playing Manchester. United and Daniel Sturridge dives and wins a penalty for Liverpool which Liverpool score and go on and win the game mm. uh, Liverpool's next game is against Manchester City retrospective action kicks in uh, the result obviously against Manchester United stands Daniel Sturridge isn't available against Manchester City Manchester City win 2-0 mm. uh, and, uh, and go 7 points clear of Manchester United in the title race well how exactly does that benefit anybody yeah. who's, who's been genuinely wronged by this is the theory then well it'll stop players as a deterrent well uh, I've seen some horrific tackles be lashed in when retrospective action can theoretically be taken and either it hasn't been or it has but players have still done it retrospective action has not seemingly stopped bad tackles going in red cards on the pitch may well you know for bad tackles that brought mm. something about but retrospective action I think it's just the same as, as action if you see what I mean you may yeah. just have a, have a tougher line on action but I think it's a very hard thing to tell because what, what's going down easily versus just trying to get yourself out of trouble I've seen it players accused of dives who've, who've been, clearly just been jumping out the way and have been impeded in inverted commas and just yeah. because there hasn't been contact everyone goes well it shouldn't be given well if he's had to jump out of the way of a leg breaking tackle then that should be a free kick yeah you know it's 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 such a grey area I think within football and all you can ask for I think is just better refereeing the only other option is not retrospective action but is uh, is, is, is TV replays mm. and you know the, the question mark is does the game want to go entirely down that route yeah it's a, it's a it's just a minefield, isn't it? That that sort of thing. Well, they've done this season, haven't they? They've they've got a retrospective panel on on a Monday where stupid tackles get referred um, to a, a supposed panel who then decide what goes on from there. Um, I think that's start of a very dangerous process because, like you say, there's all sorts of uh, different different things you can come up with. To, Go against actually the, the setup of that that sort of thing. So yeah, it's it's the whole thing on the thing about that tackles to one side tackles. I think if you're lashing in tackles that could break someone's leg, uh, use the uh, the lad from Wigan last season. What was his name again? McManaman. McManaman. Yeah. Use that one as an example. That I think you can make a strong argument for retrospective punishments in terms of saying what you've done there is completely unacceptable it's not gamesmanship it's thuggery and therefore we need to do something about it I can understand that mm. because but the, the very reason why you dive is gamesmanship it's not because the red mist has descended the very reason why you do something like that is to try to achieve an advantage during the football yeah. match that's being played and that's therefore then I don't quite see what's to be gained by giving next week's opponents an advantage yeah. right when it's it's the previous week's opponents yeah. who've been you know Ashley Young now misses Man let's say Ashley Young was, was, was banned now for playing against Manchester City next weekend well that doesn't help Crystal Palace say, is it an argument to say maybe you just ban them from playing the next game against that club well that would be clever uh, you know if that rolled right the way around if you were prepared to do it that way yeah. then you could at least do that but then this goes back to a previous discussion we've had well if Ashley Young doesn't play for Manchester United next time against Crystal Palace then Nanny will or Valencia yeah. will or whoever that young lad who looked brilliant for and them equally was. that game could not mean anything by the time they play each other yeah. again so I mean you know it, it, it gives you another reason if you're a bigger club to stockpile players mm. on the same subject I was listening to Big Sam after after that uh, drab nil nil yesterday West Ham Southampton, and he said he felt he had the responsibility to come out and say how bad Morgan Schneiderlin's tackle was against Mohamed Diame and that he should be red carded. A responsibility. 
as a manager to come out and say that that was a bad tackle. I don't know where he's coming from there. Well, maybe it's because he's decided that he's going to be the man who's going to clean up football. He sees himself yeah. as being the, you know, the last good, the, the last honest man. Because his it? teams have never kicked anyone. Well, exactly, the last honest man in this dirty town. It's all just a little bit tawdry when they start doing all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, let's, let, let's pick on X, let's pick on Y. But it, it comes back to looking at instance rather than football matches. I think in a drab nil-nil you can understand why people come to do that, but let's talk about the drab nil-nil. Let's talk about why that why the drab nil-nil yeah. suits West Ham. Let's ask the question whether... Yeah, it's, it's funny because he said that he, he said, yeah, we could have gone on and won the game if they went down to ten men, but we're delighted with the points. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really make sense, does it? Couldn't, couldn't you, know, you have won the game anyway? Yeah. Couldn't Couldn't you have done the decent thing and win yeah. the game anyway? Sam, have an interest in trying to win the game. This is the the, the crazed, crazed, crazed world of of of, of mid table Premier League sides now. I think, uh, wherein that really is a solid point for West Ham. It's it, and this is this is the issue that you've got. Really, it's very difficult to to try and say how do you incentivise them to do any more they went there they got the point that they wanted they were rock solid um, they essentially bored Southampton into the ground Southampton didn't quite have the nous to do the decent thing and find a way to cut through them and change the game that's it that'll do and it's football and it, I embrace this aspect of football. I think it's okay. I think it's crazy that at this stage of the season you can play so cynically for that nil-nil. But in a sense, yeah. I almost think, well, that's it. At least demonstrates what genuine competitiveness is. It's actually at times not an enormous amount of fun. Well, that's what's worried me so far this season. Actually, is the the amount of sides that I've been so cautious, almost as if it's a knockout competition. Uh, I watched most of the Fulham West Brom game from Saturday. It was finished one all. The first goal West Brom have scored this season actually in the last minute and. It was almost if it was a cup competition. Fulham score went one 0 up. Uh, subsequently, they had two disallowed goals after that. But you, you, I was sitting there watching, thinking this hasn't got the flow of a Premier League game. No, this is almost like it's quarter final, semi final, the FA Cup. It, it doesn't. It didn't make. It didn't make sense particularly so early on. Mm-hmm. You normally see these the, the, these decent games, more decent games tend to happen earlier on in the season, don't they? It's the middle time and towards the end Where, when teams start putting men behind the ball. But what's interesting is that they seem like. Uh, quarter-final of FA Cup games are not like quarter-final of Champions League games. They're not tactically savvy. They're just shutting things down yeah. in the most basic way possible. And it it's, makes it very boring. And it's, it, 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 it's, the, it's the old Hodgson screensaver lines moving around the pitch that you just see together because no one wants to no one wants to get dragged into something this season. I think it's really fascinating how there's this desire not to get dragged into something. I actually think you look at the top half of the table already now uh, that, that I've got in front of me. Arsenal, Spurs, Liverpool, Man City, Man United, Chelsea, Stoke, Newcastle, Everton, West Ham. That could conceivably in some sort of order be the top ten mm. at the end of the season. How has that settled that quickly? That's only four games. Yeah. Normally, there's at least one. I, I, I said this season, my prediction was it would be Hull. I thought it would be Villa. To be fair to Villa, though, they've had three absolute stinkers to open the season with. Yeah, they have had three stinkers to, open the stinker, uh, stinkers to open the season with. But then, you know, they've then, uh, this Lost weekend, gone and got themselves beaten at home to Newcastle. But, you know, that said, that's that wouldn't surprise you if that was the top ten. And it just feels as though everyone's settled back in to last season's roles very, very quickly. And, you know, you even look at the bottom three, Swansea, West Brom, Sunderland. Well, with the exception of Swansea, really... Who's still got a game in hand? Obviously, still to play Liverpool tonight. You know that wouldn't surprise you if that was the uh, mm. with Crystal Palace thrown in. That wouldn't surprise you if that was the bottom three. How have they managed to get themselves so quickly into these positions? Where does the sides come with the run to impress early? You know, Fulham are managing to already sit in thirteenth. Yeah, all this sort yeah. of stuff. They've all managed to get themselves into these positions quite quite quickly. And I think it's um, it's indicative of something. It's indicative, I think, of a fear. No petrified, one, aren't they? Absolutely petrified. No one wants to go down. I think that's the problem that Evan have had. And I 
think this is a problem that Evan will have all season. To bring it back to the Martinez question, I think the issue, the thing he's going to run into all season is I don't think Everton are going to be this season quite good enough to regularly enough put the poorer sides to the sword. Mm. But the other side of that is that they're going to be too good for the poorer sides to, even at home, want to come out and play against. And I think that's going to be a problem that Everton are going to run into. Everton are now going to be treated like a proper top six side this season. And with that, as I've said, and I thought that happened in the second half of last season, with that comes these issues to overcome. How do you deal with sides who've just gone, you know what, Everton are coming this weekend. We'll take a point and we'll see if we can just get get a bit lucky and get three. Yeah, well, you've seen that against Cardiff so far this season. Norwich was a bit of a weird game but going back to the back end of last season I said the one that sticks in my head was Swansea at home um, they negated the threat of Baines and Pina and basically said yeah we'll take a draw from five minutes in they're trying to waste time I think uh, Evertonians have got to get used to that but you know there's a, there's a talent and I suppose that's the difference between Everton being a 6th, 7th, 8th place side to a top 4, top 5 side You've got to still put these teams away. You've got to find a way of beating them. Liverpool against Stoke was the perfect example of that. That We, we didn't see that last season from Everton at all. Liverpool were relentless against Stoke, and I think that's what you've got to be. Well, this is this is what makes tonight's game so interesting. We're going to have Steve Hothersall on the line after the break to uh, talk about, uh, well, six or one after us, and the other will have Steve Hothersall on the line after the break. <laughs> on some uh, sort of line. On some sort of line, yeah. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about this game coming up for Liverpool. I think it's going to be, um, it, it's, I think it is going to be interesting, but I think that one of the things that makes it interesting is what Swansea's approach mm. do Swansea decide look at Liverpool and think this season against these we'll just sit in and see what happens or does Swansea decide to try and take it to the Reds I think it's going to be a, it, it's a tight decision that one I think it actually Liverpool at this point can't know and this is why of Liverpool's fixtures we talked about them last weekend uh, how straightforward they are Dave you know of Liverpool's fixtures right up until now when they play Arsenal this is the most interesting and arguably mm. the tightest I know Southampton will take a point next weekend at Anfield yeah. I know that the following game after that Sunderland away Sunderland will take a point I know that Palace will obviously take a point at Anfield, etc., etc. What we don't know is how Swansea will approach it. And the other thing as well, Davis, Swansea play Valencia. They go to Valencia yeah. on Thursday. And they will want to impress there because I think as well, not just for Swansea the city, Swansea the town, uh, Swansea the football club, but also for the manager, a Europa League run would do him and them the world of good. It's a massive advert for him, isn't it? And it was funny listening in, listening to him today. I was just thinking about it then when we were talking about this sort of narrative that's gone on so far this season with teams scared to lose. He he was saying, well, you know, you have to play every side twice. And that that's the sort of thing you hear a week before the season starts when, oh, you've got a bad run coming up here, mate. Yeah. You know, um, it was interesting hearing what he was saying about you know, Liverpool had a tricky run at the start of last season and it, it shaped their season in a lot of ways. It was quite laboured until he got to January and then obviously it was a massive kick-on since then. He was sort of talking about he wasn't panicking that Swansea they won one game out of three they couldn't be like 18th. He was sort of trying to move away from that and say, well, it, it, it doesn't really matter. I don't start looking at the league table till after six, eight, ten games. Yeah. I, I sort of I, I don't buy into that really because, like you said, it's so structured already to what we are what we know too well. So I think he's probably concerned the I fact that they they're, they're so low down so far so early. That's the question: Would they take a point? Will they take all three? We'll be talking about that hopefully with Steve Hodgson. Hopefully getting a Liverpool team. Hopefully doing all sorts of things straight after the break. This is all in the game. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Everything and anything football, it's all in the game on City Talk 105.9.
It is City Talk 105.9. It is all in the game. And I remember there was one Monday night game last season, Dave, when we got Steve Hollisall oh. on the line um, for the team news. And we gave a big pomp, the first place to get your team news from. Steve Hollisall, have your team news. He's going to come in a minute with your team news. And Steve <laughs> Hollisall spent the, first, that, the entire 10 minutes giving you excuses as to why he didn't have the team yeah. news. Um, I'm not going to make those sorts of promises tonight. Once bitten, twice shy. There is pressure, though. I'd like to think that on here on City Talk 105.9, this can be the first place you get your football news for Liverpool. I'd like to think so, yeah. Well, I'd like to think there's some top journalism happening down there at the uh, yeah. at what was the Vetchfield and is now the Liberty. The Vetchfield. Um, <laughs> I nearly went with the Vetchfield there. That's that glass of wine I told you about earlier. Um, <laughs> so now we're going to we're going to go over. I think to Steve Hardisol, who I think should be on the line and is probably listening to this mild invective against him. Um, Steve, you haven't got the team news yet, have you, mate? Uh, Neil, I'm still looking for the team news from the last game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent stuff, Steve. It's not about the team no. news, is it? I'll tell you, do you want me to tell you the team? It's about the team news, though, isn't it? No, do you want me to tell you the team? I'll tell you the team. Do you know it? I'll tell you the team. Go on. The team is um, in your lane goal. Okay, not state your reputation on that one. Uh, right back will be Colo Torre. Centre backs will be Martin Skirtle and Daniel Aga. Left back will be Jose Enrique. In front of them, you'll have Lucas and Steve Gerard Gerard. In front of them, you'll have Jordan Henderson. Uh, he will go with Coutinho. He will go with Sturridge. And my 50 50 call is I think he'll pick Aspas. I think you're wrong twice. This is Neil. Go on, are you, Neil? <laughs> Neil Mellor as well as joining us. Neil, why am I wrong twice? Uh, it's only because I've been in the press room. There's been plenty of rumours circulating. Oh, I. Whilst this is only speculation this is the proper journalism listen to this listen to this listen to Steve Hollis get embarrassed by Neil Mellory go on Neil I actually think that you're two two players out there I think Torre's not playing I think we'll see wisdom at right back okay and I think the 50-50 call I think you got it wrong Moses yeah but like I say that they're just a rumour circulating in that press room so I love this I love the fact that you've gone and spoken to people in the press room Neil and Steve's obviously just sat there you've got a lot of rebuilding work to do Neil (laughs) your your reputation is thoroughly on the line after that that shambolic team Call. <laughs> what, what, mine or Neil's? <laughs> too, too many Neil's on the line in this one. Uh, Mr. Atkinson. We'll call, we call me Mr. Atkinson. I'm, 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 I'm happy to be proven wrong because uh, I'll actually ask me, I'll ask Neil Miller. That's an interesting, exciting team, isn't it? Because there's one question mark thus far over what Liverpool have done this season, and it's Aspas. He's been good off the ball, Neil, but he's not been quite as effective as you'd hope for on it. Whereas Moses has got all the attributes to be a very exciting player for Liverpool. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. I don't think he's affected the games enough, Aspas, and I think. The the fact that with Moses coming in, I think that frees up Coutinho to play more of a central role. Mm. And I think if we're being honest, Coutinho was superb at the end of last season. Not really seen that that much of him at the start of this season. So hopefully, you know, Moses coming in will free Coutinho up to play that central role and we'll see more from him. I, th- I think that, uh, Steve, you know, look at this side. If it is the side that Neil says it is, which is it is intriguing. It's rumours. It's rumours. But let's, <laughs> uh, let, let's stick with the Moses stuff. I think that the Coutinho stuff's uh, fascinating there. Thus far, Liverpool, because in this second half of the games that you've watched Steve they haven't kept the ball well enough have they to really allow Coutinho to play he's been almost having to to counter a bit dog it a bit at times you know if Liverpool can keep the ball better if they can maybe get 2-0 up or begin to play and get the room to play then you could see Coutinho at his best certainly centrally totally and and I think you know we're only a few games in but what what I have noticed a little bit maybe towards the end of the Villa game or even against Manchester United maybe that I know it's only early in the season but perhaps there's a lot more match fitness to come from Coutinho and I've, I've felt that perhaps later on, the, on in the games he's been struggling just a little bit but he certainly hasn't had as, as much of an involvement as we would have expected but saying that at Villa he did the one thing that won the game for Liverpool with a, yep. with a cheeky bit of work that you know 
exposed Aston Villa. So, look, even if he, if he can do that when perhaps he's nowhere near 100% in his game, then I think that's great for the Reds. I think in that last game against Manchester United, yeah, he, you know, we, I think we'd have all gone into the game expecting him to influence the outcome much more, and he didn't really, did he? No, I mean, I thought that was quite interesting, Steve. He didn't quite have that sort of impact. But I think that anyway, I, I wouldn't expect that from him in those games. Very few attacking players, I think, in those games often do. You know, there's, there's, those instances stand out. For instance, when Suarez destroyed United the day that day, Cal got a hat-trick. You know, you remember them. Normally, they are quite tight affairs. I think, and this is the thing tonight, isn't it, Neil? I think Coutinho, for him to be almost at his best for Liverpool, I've got this sense he might need to almost be a bit of a flat-track bully. If he is, as Steve says, you know, the sort of player who does the great thing against someone like uh, Aston Villa that creates the, the opening goal, that changes the game. That's, to a certain extent, if that was his role this season, you'd be happy with that as long as he was a proper flat-track bully and that he was doing it most weeks. Yeah, you know, I totally agree. I think that, you know, as long as he is doing that moment of brilliance on the pitch, which no other play, player does, you know, like we say, that the contribution against Villa, you know, it won't go down as an assist, but it should do, because without that... Oh, that, this is a can of worms you're opening here, Neil. Yeah, but look at it, it doesn't the go in without nonsense. That, that moment of brilliance, and, but as long as he keeps contributing and doing things like that in the tight games... Exactly. You know, but I, I still feel as though he, he will offer four or five times more that in a central role. I mean, how much expectation was on him at the, the start? of the season. Phenomenal, wasn't it? The biggest shirt seller in terms of people buying shirts, putting his name on the back. And that was just off the back of 13 games last season. That's quite phenomenal, isn't it? What, what is he? Is he 20? How old is he? 20? 21? He's that sort of age, 20 or 21. Mm. It's a lot of pressure on a young man, isn't it, Dave Downey? That, you know, to, to, to make him your, full, your, your creative fulcrum. It just puts so much on him. He looks similarly at Barkley with Everton, the staff he's had this season. It, you know, it does put a lot of pressure on him. And the, the difference between them two players is Coutinho is a far better a passer, I'd say, at this stage. And he moves the ball quick. Exactly, and, and that, that's what that's what he's got in his favour at this stage in his career. You, normally, you, you're expecting players that age to make the odd mistake. He doesn't seem to do that. The other side of this as well, Neil, is if Skirtle does start, Skirtle last season struggled against physical strikers, and I think last time you and I were able to speak to each other, it was after West Ham, yeah. when we'd watched uh, John Joe Shelby, even though he influenced what would prove to be the winner, struggle as a centre-forward. Swansea, if they start Boney, who's uh, played, I, I think he played for them again, West Brom. If they start Boney, he's only he's only had that one start. He is a physical presence. He's the sort of handful that Skirtle struggled with last season. He, he did do. You know, there's no question of that. You know, like you say, that West Ham game, he, he did. He got bullied against uh, Colton Cole that day, and the Stoke game on Boxing Day. I remember that one as well. Kelvin Jones. You know, it was a real tough outing oh, for him, and he got murdered. Uh, and obviously, when when Carra came back in the side, it was completely different. I suppose the comforting thing is the fact that he played against United last week, and whilst Van Persie isn't that big physical presence, he still came in to the side and would have got a lot of confidence from that and Boney will be a different proposition today because he will be a physical presence so it'll be interesting, well he's, it looks like he's going to be starting so it'll be interesting to see how he deals with him. It's also a meet you arriving there as well Steve, it's it, it, vigilance is important from Liverpool today I think, it's it feels like the sort of game where it will be decided by the first goal, if not necessarily into a 1-0 win but you would think if Liverpool did score first they would go on and win the game, what do you think a winner means to Liverpool? Well it's massive isn't it but I said to Neil in the car on the way down 
down. I mean, <laughs> law of averages would say they're going to concede some time, aren't they? I mean, you go three games without conceding a goal. It's a it's a long period of time. So, you know, if it was to be four today, that would be a phenomenal start to the league season. I sort of think in one aspect, you'd be quite happy with a nil-nil or a one-one, wouldn't you, at the end of tonight? If you looked at the first four games of the season without getting overly carried away with no. what, what Liverpool can achieve. Oh, you wouldn't be? <laughs> I wouldn't take a draw. Really? I, if you offer me a draw now, I would not take a draw. Well, that's I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a draw tonight. So your expectations have literally gone through the roof no, no, after well, the first three games of the season? Well, no, I mean, you know, they are obviously the champions-elect. But putting that to one side for a second, <laughs> um, I think that it's... I, I think that ultimately, if normally... If, if, if Liverpool actually only picked up seven points so far, then I'd probably take a point tonight and just say consolidate. I actually think that Liverpool are in this crazy situation now where they can begin to build a little bit of a cushion. The sides who are about to have to disappear off and play six Champions League games... Man United haven't got that managerial experience anymore and Arsenal and Manchester City have got tough groups Liverpool are in a position where with the easy run of fixtures if they can get themselves a little bit of a buffer I think that they can continue to pull out and I'm not saying that genuinely off the point of view of and we'll all be drinking champagne in May but instead what it might mean is it might actually be easier for Liverpool to attempt to come first fail and come third than attempt to come fourth fail and come sixth Yeah that's a fair enough argument and I think all teams go through well most teams go through brilliant periods remember West Brom last season who seemed unbeatable in the first half of the, the season so I think if Liverpool can ride this out for as long as possible it, it does make things slightly more comfortable on the back end of the season look at the table at the moment as it Steve stands. I've got to cut you off we've got to go don't Arsenal, go anywhere Tottenham, Liverpool. it's all in the game on City Talk 105.9